Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Hey, Rodney, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you, Dr. Slover. I just, I still can't get over your voice. It's the perfect voice for radio. I'm, 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 I was looking forward to this conversation uh, even before I heard your voice. And now I'm just, it's, it's almost like having a conversation with someone with a British or Australian accent. British and Australian friends. <laughs> right. My guest today is Rodney Korn. I recently connected with Rodney by a mutual friend, brother in Christ, and episode 16 guest, Richard Stewart. And I'm really excited about today's conversation. Rodney's a 25-year veteran in the commercial health and fitness industry and currently the director of Aleco Education, an organization whose mission is to work to make people stronger for better performance in sports and life. Their work is grounded in the idea that when we grow stronger, we become healthier and happier individuals who together build a stronger world. I love that. Recently, the organization developed a complete high-performance aquatics training system for the U.S. Navy. I'm definitely going to ask Rodney about that one. And in addition to this work, Rodney also founded Feel Soma in 2017, an organization that takes a fresh approach to enhancing the quality and performance of nerve, muscle, bone, and fascia tissues through hydration, mobilization, and activation techniques that allow for more effective communication between the body and the brain. Rodney's been married to his wife, Tina, for 22 years, and together they have two children. Rodney, thank you so much for taking time today to be on It's Not My Credit to Take. How are you? I'm uh, wonderful. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I always enjoy sharing about our good Lord. Well, you're, well, you're welcome. I, I want to. I definitely want to get into uh, in, into t talking Jesus. No doubt about that. But I mentioned in the opening our mutual friend Richard Stewart. How did the two of you meet? What's your connection? Yeah, we met back in 1999. I was I had gone to school and was getting out of my master's degree and got a job with a company called the National Academy of Sports Medicine (NASM). And when I got there, uh, Richard was one of the instructors who was kind of left over from the previous regime. And so we just got to teach together. And after we started talking within a few minutes, we realized uh, we were both men of faith and that was a, a good bond. And as you know, he's just, a, he's just a mellow, calm, collected man. And so it was refreshing to be able to talk to someone who was fairly grounded, uh, had, a, had a great life great kids, great family life, uh, which is what I was aspiring to do. I hadn't, hadn't yet been married, and uh, I, I was obviously planning on having children when my wife and I got together. But So it was a kind of a role model. He was somebody that I definitely looked up to. I remember going to dinner with him when he and I worked for Apex Fitness Group. And for the listeners... Apex Fitness Group, the founder of Apex Fitness Group, 
also was instrumental in starting the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And I was struggling with my relationship, my marriage with my daughter's mother at the time. And Richard and I were walking out in the parking lot and I had been asking advice. And you had mentioned how measured and level headed he was and he or is. And he turns to me and all but puts a finger in my chest and says, you're the leader. I mean, very, very firmly and sternly. And it took me aback because it, that seemed really out of character for him. But it's not. He's, no. he's extraordinarily convicted and passionate. And he just does a really good job keeping it under wraps, doesn't he? Yeah, he's very bold and he's willing to stand, stand firm and make a statement. But he knows the right times to do that. No doubt about it. So you spoke a little bit about your your background from 1999 forward in, in meeting Richard. Tell us a little bit more about your background. Like, did you grow up in a Christian household? What was that like? What, what's been your your journey that now has you serving as director of Aleco Education? Yeah, it's, it's many lifetimes is what it seems like. It's multiple lifetimes. So yes, I did grow up in a in a Christian home. My mother was a very good Christian leader, woman. Uh, my father was not at the time. Uh, thankfully, my father is a phenomenal Christian now, but he was not at the time. And so it was kind of a, a unequally yoked home. And when I was, and so I had a wonderful childhood. My, my father was an excellent man. He was a great provider. Uh, my mother was a great Christian woman and a, and a leader from a spiritual leader in the home. And uh, so I had a wonderful childhood, was very active in sports, uh, primarily football, though I played soccer and baseball and a little bit of basketball. Football was my predominant sport. When I got into my freshman year in high school, my parents threw a curveball at us and said they were getting divorced, which came out of the blue for us. We had no idea because we never saw any fighting, any, there was no, there was nothing. And so they were getting divorced and it wasn't real pretty. And that threw me for a, a real big loop. And that was about 15 ish when they separated about 16, I think 16, late 16, when I, when, when they got divorced. And so from that time, um, I was basically on my own for a, from about 17 on, my mother ended up moving up to Northern California, I was born and raised in Southern California. And my dad was not really around the house because I don't think he really could handle being in the home at that time. So too many memories. So that was uh, very traumatic for me. It was at that point that I actually fell away from, from Christ and I uh, got into alcohol, I got into drugs, but was still playing football at a very high level. Uh, and ended up getting a scholarship to play football at the University, Miami University in Ohio. Uh, but never, just never got my feet, never had my, my footing after that because it was just, it was so traumatic for me. And you know, people go through divorces all the time. And I know the parents, I've had so many parents say, ah, kids are resilient. Uh, kids are resilient, but the resiliency that actually is exposed or manifests is basically uh, dysfunctional resilience. Um, it's more of a coping strategy and there's various ways that they cope. And most kids don't pull out of that as great as parents want to think they do. So that's a shout out to parents if you're struggling. I really, really encourage you to, to, to seek the Lord and seek 
good spiritual counseling uh, on that because it has a, it's a ma massive effect. So that took me through college. I played college football. I played at a very high level, but I was very much wrapped up into drugs and alcohol because that was my escape. Uh, didn't trust people. I had a, a lot of trust issues. I just didn't trust because I was hit with a lot of situations where people would say one thing, but do something completely different. And so I thought it was easier to, to not worry about that and just, I would just deal with myself, which that didn't work out very well either. Uh, so I came out of that. Uh, I ended up going through some time where I had some great jobs and was always involved with training, always involved with sports medicine in that form of fashion. Went through, but had a personal training business of my own in Southern California, but I was just very, always unsatisfied. Uh, so one day I just had talked to my mom and was calling around and I wanted to go back to school because I never finished my degree in college, though I went to phenomenal school. Miami University is a phenomenal academic school. Never finished that. Uh, so I ended up going back to school in 1996 to get, uh, at the time I wanted to get a PhD and become a professor, got into other plans. So uh, I got a degree in psychology, a double degree in psychology and in exercise science. And then I got a master's degree in biomechanics. And at that time, that's when I was, uh, was a, which is a, that's a whole other story is going forever with one of my professors in my master's degree program was younger than I was. And he got a job at, at Apex. Um, and so he was there at Apex. And I remember him saying Apex when we were in school and because we had a pretty good relationship was that Jeff? What's that? Is that Jeff Crow? No, uh, I just I just totally went blank on his name. I want to say it was Mark. Um, good looking, dark haired kid, and I just went blank as soon as I started talking about him. Um, he was he was excellent. So he got a job with them, and I believe ninety eight. And then I had I had just finished. I was finishing my master's degree. And I had friends down in Southern California who sent me, or they called me because we didn't have email and a bunch of stuff back then, but they called me and they said, Hey, we found a perfect job for you. And I was like, really? Yeah. Some company called National Academy of Sports Medicine and they gave me Niels Bruce's number. And as we all know, and so I called and then I never heard anything. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to call back one more time. And I called and then Karen Perlmutter, who... <laughs> Was she'd been there with Neil forever? Yeah. She took the message, and then within uh, a few hours, uh, Mark had called me back, and I forget his last name, um, but it'll come to prompt sooner or later. But he called me back, and he he says, is "This is this Rod Porn from Chico?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "This is Mark blah, blah blah." And I was like, "No way!" And he's like, "Yeah." And I said, "What are you doing there?" And he goes, "Well, funny story. I went to Apex, and then Neil purchased." National Academy of Sports Medicine, he brought me over to be there. And he said, yeah, come on down. We'll interview you. So I sat with a meeting in a meeting with Neil. And after about an hour, we got along great. And he's like, yeah, we're going to hire you. So can you be down here by July and start? And I was like, okay. So uh, went in there, come to find out when I got there, Mark was gone. He, I, that's, why he, that's why he wanted me to get a job. <laughs> he was leaving. You, you replaced him. Yeah, so the only other guy that was there, 
he had already put in his two-week notice because he didn't want to pay this new guy coming in. So I got there by default. I was the director of education for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Right. So uh, that's the condensed version of, of where, where I, how I got there. Gotcha. So I don't know how I missed this in preparation for this conversation. But I graduated from Miami University in 1997. No way. Yeah. If if memory serves, I was the last Miami Redskin class or yeah. one of the last Redskin classes. And for the listeners that uh, hopefully you're not offended by things that aren't politically correct, uh, I was extraordinarily disappointed in the administration's decision to shift from Redskins to Red Hawks, especially with the knowledge that the Miami tribe lobbied the administration say, don't change the name. Don't change the name. We, we, we celebrate our, our heritage. I mean, the state of Ohio was founded in 1803. Miami university was founded in 1809 and it was a tribute to the native Americans and they, they viewed it as such. It was, it was really, really sort of a sad time. And those that wanted the name change, Rodney, as you know, look like both of us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the way it is with the Washington Redskins. So it was the same same thing. The all, all of the all of the Indian named schools or teams, none of the tribes wanted it changed. Had nothing to do with the American Indian. I think that's a huge thing for people to actually realize because most people we just follow what we hear and we think it's true, and it's not because the people who wanted it change were doing it for a very specific agenda purpose. And it was, it was false. It was wrong. And those tribes suffered from it because they're no longer recognized. So what we thought was a really cool thing from the public side, Oh yeah, we're getting politically correct. We actually injured them. And it was really the opposite. It was, it hurt them because they no longer had the sense of pride that went along with these teams are named after us. Because that's, that's right. how they, that's how they saw themselves. That's right. That's right. Uh, un- unintended consequences are uh, are still consequences, no doubt about it. Um, let's go back to when you were a teenager, and, and you you and I are are similar in that in, during our teenage years we both suffered a traumatic experience. Your parents divorcing when you were sixteen. I my dad died when I was thirteen, and how we ended up coping was dysfunctional for both of us, but it was dysfunctional in a different way where I went into seclusion and then later discovered philosophy and realized that, hey, I'm actually relatively smart. And I, I then I intellectualized my life up until it really even just a couple of years ago. And but you're you said that you turned to drugs and alcohol. Okay. What was it that that allowed you to eventually acknowledge the dysfunction and and set that down in order to move your life forward? Now that's that is a phenomenal question and a great story. I'll probably never be able to articulate it. But there came a point when I was on my own and I was about twenty. Seven, probably 27, 28 at the time. And I was realizing that this isn't going the way I foresaw it going. <laughs> and I had a, a 
an, another traumatic thing was my football career when I got to Miami is I came from Southern California, uh, was recruited, but just there was a clash with my head coach. He wouldn't, he wouldn't play me. My position coach wanted me to play, but my head coach wouldn't, and I could never figure it out. And so that was traumatic for me because I was in these situations where everything kept falling apart and relationships kept falling apart. And I, I couldn't see where I was going wrong in them because I wasn't doing anything to, at, at that particular point. So I was struggling with that. Got out of school and when I was about 27, 28, and I was in my own personal training business and I was working from basically four o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock every night, four o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock every night. So I just remember one day I was in my apartment and I was washing clothes on a Sunday because I didn't work on Sundays. I worked six days a week. And I was, I just remember was drinking a 12 pack of beer and was semi-intoxicated as was usual. And I just realized, and I was high functioning though. So it was, most people wouldn't know unless you were around. And I just, I just remember flipping through the channels and it was in a, it was around, in, I think it was an early January and I was just flipping through the cha channels and I came across this church service on television and the guy's name was Dr. Eugene Scott. And there was a lot of people who thought he was kind of weird and bizarre. But one of the things that he was doing, and it was interesting because I remember seeing, he said, I'm giving my Easter sermon early this year. And it was all about the validation of scientific validation and historical validation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I had grown up in church, never heard anything like that, never. And so I watched this whole dissertation that he went through and he resonated with me because I like when someone speaks very succinct, has references to what they say and comes across with answers, not just stories. And he did all of that. He checked all those boxes. And I just remember sitting there and I was on my couch just staring at the TV. And when it, when it finished, I was just, I was just hit. And I was like, whoa, I've never heard that before. It's like all the time that I spent in church, all the Bible reading that I did when I was young, I never heard someone lay that out. And then I realized at that moment that there's way more to this. There's way more to this. And so that was the actual catalyst for me going uh, and finding it. I, I, I knew that I needed a change. I needed to do something. I needed to get back in school because not having my degree for whatever reason, God's plan was really a burden to me. It's like I had all of this knowledge and all of this ability and I didn't succeed in football. My goal from eight years old was to play professional football. And I had all of this ability, but I got to a point where it was no longer my decision whether I could go or not. It was someone else's decision. So I didn't. So that, that road was shut and God had a very specific plan. He did everything perfectly. I, I can assure you cut that off. We, we went to this the school and I never finished that. I got to finish that. So I came back up here. I moved up to Northern California where I am now. I told my mom I was going to come up and go back to school. I was like, okay, if I stayed with her, she was just, yes, absolutely. 
So got up here, finished all that, and was still was still involved with, with alcohol, was still involved with all that stuff. But in 1997, I, I, I attribute this a lot to my wife, God brought, in late 96, brought my wife into my life as my girlfriend. I met her, and it was something that I had never experienced before because I'd never had really good relationships. And she, she made a comment one time, and she just told me, she goes, I don't like you when you drink. And that was just like, holy smokes, no one had ever confronted me and said anything about that because that was just the only time I ever had fun and the only time I ever had conversation with people. And so uh, completely out of my control, one, one morning in August of 1997, I woke up. And when I woke up, I was like, I immediately could tell. I was like, I don't, I don't have this desire to drink because it used to be drinking going out to drink was what, how I kind of plan my day or, or week and such as sick as that sounds. And I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm different. I am totally different. And so I would test it. <laughs> See, is that really true? Or am I feeling something that I just am making up? So I would start to drink and I went out three different times. I remember specifically about three different times to the, the, the club bar that I would go to. And I, took one drink, one drink, and would end up with this like migraine headache. And I was like, what in the world is going on? In my heart, I knew it was happening. In my head, I couldn't figure out how that worked. And so I did that a couple of different times. I was like, I'm not supposed to drink, period. So that's when I stopped. So it's been since 1997 and I haven't drinking since and have zero desire. I've never even thought about it. I've never been, I don't get tempted. It's not like a, Ooh, I got an urge. It had nothing. It's just gone. Um, there were a few different cases. I also had very, very poor language. And I woke up one morning about six months later, gone. I just, it was like gone. It was like took, took from me. And I don't, there's nowhere else, how, no other way to explain it. And it was like, what is going on? But in my heart, I realized what was happening. And God was slowly moving me in a direction, even though I was very far from him, he had always been there. And I just started to follow, uh, follow him closer until I got to that point. And so that's how I got closer at that, at that point. What did that feel like? Because it sounds, it, it, it sounds like you and I are, are also similar in that we, we like objective, rational, you know, solutions to problems. We probably are would, you know, think through things probably more similar than not. We want rational explanations for things. And on two separate occasions, you describe waking up and the desire to consume alcohol vanished. You wake up another time and the desire to curse vanishes. In that moment, did you feel confused? Did you feel inspired? What was the what was the emotion around that? Yeah, that's a great question. And in essence, one there was a there was a it was like a calm relief. Like there's there's nothing tugging at me anymore. Hmm. So it it started with there's just this calm relief or release, and then. Two, 
I knew, but probably didn't want to admit it. I knew that God was doing something because I knew who God was. I just didn't know much about him and didn't really want to, because I, my biggest fear was going back into church. Not that I ever had a bad experience in church. It just never fulfilled me. And I, I say that because sadly it's, we're in a similar situation, I believe across the world, across the, this country specifically with that lack of, we're not being taught the Bible. We're being told about it and fitting it into a narrative for whatever story wants to be told or explained at that time. Can you differentiate that? I mean, can you differentiate what you mean by not being taught it versus being told it and almost square peg round holing it into this prescribed narrative? Yeah, I th- there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things. <laughs> this, this is probably going on forever, but to, to try to get to the point is what I see happening and what I've experienced in many churches, and this is not a blanket statement, but I'm generalizing in many churches. There are some phenomenal, phenomenal pastors who are great teachers. And to to me, the Bible isn't being taught. Here's what these words mean. Here's how this, this is, this is a book that everything ties together. Everything ties together. There's reasons for every verse in the Bible. But I don't feel that many of the people that are talking about it, they'll pull out a verse and they want they want to use a verse to fit into, here's why we should do this, or here's why we should be like this, or here's what's happening in society. And this is how this works. If we don't understand the Bible, and, and the Bible is, it's God's word. It's living and active. And that's something that God really, he's done so many things and pressed so many things into me. He said, do you realize my word is living and active? Yes or no? And he always gives you yes or no answers. Let's not debate it. Let's not talk about it. Yes or no. Do you do? And it's like, I never thought about it. He goes, when I say living and active, I mean that it's living and it's active. It's constantly in motion. It constantly works. It never stops. And not only that, what you read, but that's why my son is my son. He is the living and active word. He embodies everything that's in that. So we're not taught about how the Bible fits together to tell this unbelievably, overwhelmingly amazing story of grace and mercy. We still have Christian people who think that God is an angry God. Then you're not reading the same book and you're not hearing the same message as you should be hearing because that's not what it is. Does God get upset? Yes. Why? Because of his love, because he's zealous for us, which is what we call jealous, but he's zealous for us. He is so passionate about it that he gets upset, but he never leaves us nor forsakes us. We leave him and forsake him. And I just feel like we're, we, we get lost in 
And, and I don't want I don't want to speak to pastors because I pray for pastors and leaders because I know that they're held to a different standard than than and that's biblical. They're going to be held to a different standard because they were chosen by God to to take care of His sheep. And then we as people were exhorted by Paul to. We're, we're supposed to study the scripture. We're supposed to read and, and find out when my pastor preaches something, is that right? Is that true? And how do I know? And we get, we get caught up in this, I'm going to go sit, I'm going to hear this message, and therefore it must be true, it must be right, it must be all accurate. But that's not always the case. And how do we know? We have to study it out. We have to look at it. We have to go in more depth. We can't just look at one translation, take every word that's in that translation, and assume that that English translation is actually telling the story of what the Hebrew and Greek is actually saying, or Aramaic. We, 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 we assume that that's happening, and that's not the case, because there are many cases, especially in the King James Version, as, as the standard as it's held to be, scholars will tell you, good scholars will tell you, that there are so many kind of inaccurate translations or very superficial translations that don't actually give you the meaning. And it's like, if we knew deeper information about the words that we're actually reading or hearing, we would be able to put two and two together far quicker and more accurately and more consistently than we are. And I think it, it's, it's on, it's on both sides of the fence. And so for me, that's, that's a, uh, that's a burden because I just, it's, the message is so amazing that we're not doing it justice by just talking about it. We'll never understand it in depth, but we have to, we have to want to do more than talk about it and be able to break it down to where people realize this is what, what is being said people do you understand i mean we don't there there's so many examples of like oh my gosh we we don't really realize we don't realize what christ actually did because we never read the scriptures and realize do you know where he went when he died do you know what he had to suffer when he died because if he didn't do that we don't we don't have eternal life right. he didn't he didn't just bleed and go in the tomb and then woke up and everything was great he suffered the worst, most torturous torment in hell. He had to ascend, I mean, descend before he ascended. Where did he descend to? He didn't descend to the grave. He descended to Sheol. And so yeah. do, how many Christians realize, do you know that he suffered in hell for three days for you and me? Do you know what that must have been like? And it wasn't, it wasn't just a little bit. It had to be the worst suffering of all time. Because remember, there's different penalties of suffering in hell, just like there's different rewards in heaven. All by, all biblical, all, all in, in the scripture. And by so virtue of taking on all of the sins, past, present, and future, it, it's <laughs> at least by extension fair to assert that he was at every single uh, level yes. of hell. Because there's, there's nobody who's ever been given that burden. Ever. Not even close. There's only one person dies for one person. He died for every person who's ever existed or will exist. And 
then we just think, well, yeah, but you know, God's an angry God. He doesn't love me. He's like, come on. He suffered for you. And so just little things like that. And then the, the reason why he was allowed to rise from the dead, because God is a just God. The father is just. And in Leviticus, the book that no one wants to read because that's so mundane and boring, but in Leviticus, I believe it's 17.8, it says, those who keep the law shall live by the law. What did Christ do? That's why it's so, that, this is the proof that Christ was perfect because he, perf he was perfect in every way. So when he died, he fulfilled the law. So the father sees this man in, in hell who's being punished and says, you know what? He... I can raise him from the dead because I already said that those who keep the law, the man that keeps the law or any man that keeps the law shall live by the law. That means that he has life. Therefore, he has overcome death. That's why he holds the keys to hell and death. So he was perfect. There's your proof. He was raised from the dead, which there's more proof than, than any other historical event for his resurrection. And that's how he was legally raised. And that's why the Bible has all these little stories that we don't realize. So we just think, oh, yeah, he died on a cross, and I'm not sure what happened, but it's like, come on. One of a million stories. And sorry, I rambled because it's just, I get that so passionate. So good. About I, I, I'm so I'm so glad you did. I thought I thought you did a really good job differentiating be, between being taught and being told. There's a, I, I've got, questions swirling. I do want to make a comment before I ask the next one, though, is that my wife and I were recently turned on to a YouTube series called Torah Class. There's a pastor, I believe his name is Tom Bradford. Mm -hmm. What he does, starting in Genesis, and I think his, his original intention was just to do this with the Torah, but he ended up doing it with all 66 books of the Bible, yeah. where he's He's examining the literal translation from Hebrew directly to English. So there's no distillation. There's no watering down. And each, each chapter is about an hour long. That's the, the depth and breadth he goes into. And it, it's utterly fascinating. And, and it touches on everything that you just talked about. And yet, as, as Christians... And I'm going to I'm going to use your word. I'm generalizing here. As Christians, there's this tendency to show up on Sunday and expect that's enough. It's it it would be akin to starting a fitness program and saying, you know what, I'm just going to work out on Wednesday and that will be sufficient. Everybody not only intuitively knows that that's not the case, but they know that uh, intellectually that 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 doesn't lead to sustainable physical fitness. Right. From your perspective, how have we gotten to that place? And, and, and so, and, and then as a follow-up to that, how have we as men gotten to that place where we have consistently shown up and over the last four decades consistently shown up and failed to, I don't know, fulfill God's call of our potential. Yeah, well, there's a week-long series, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think with, with no excuses, because there are no excuses, it, it really goes back to 
looking at church history. So, you know, in Revelations, it talks about the seven churches, and those seven churches are actually the history of the church. And then kind of each one of us will fall into one of those churches. So there's so many levels to those, those seven churches in Revelation. So the, the Revelation story is, is a good starting point. So we see that the first church was the apostolic church. And those that was the beginning. And that's where the Holy Spirit was alive. These people were, were intimate with Christ. So the, the apostles that started this, this church, they were on fire because they experienced all of this. They experienced the, and witnessed Christ. They witnessed the resurrection. And there is no denying it. They're on fire and they're not going to do anything about it. And then Paul, which is such an amazing story. That's the other thing. you got to look at Paul. Paul is like the, the, the best argument for the authenticity of, of Christ and Christianity that you can ask for. Someone who was adamantly opposed to it, persecuting them, killing them. And all of a sudden there's a flip. What happened? Did he get paid off? Oh. So as we progress and we get into kind of the Constantine area in the Roman Empire, once, once the church basically got married, so it went from the apostolic were on fire to, oh, uh oh now we're getting prosecuted and everything we're doing, we're just getting pounded and hammered and we're getting murdered and killed and martyred. And then all of a sudden, now we're going to kind of get married to the Roman Empire. So we went from being the worst enemy to, well, what's the smartest thing to do is let's bring all these people in house. And then we go from that to kind of the Catholic Church or the beginning of the Catholic Church. And this is nothing to do with Catholic people. This is about the Catholicism that was there, which is the universal church, as we all know. But now you have you have this, this message about this king, but it's underneath the Roman Empire who you can't necessarily talk about a king coming back. So it gets it gets watered down. It gets blended in with many of the pagan the pagan worship at the time because they, they want to kind of assimilate it. And that's what happens. It got assimilated in so many things. That's why we have the holidays we have. You like it or not, Christmas is not a Christian holiday. It has a good intent, but it's, it didn't come from Christianity. Easter is Easter is actually probably the worst thing in the world because that's from Ashtoreth, who was actually the, the goddess of, of, of Baal. I mean, you're, you're talking about Baal worship. You're talking about Ashtoreth and all of those things. That was all done specifically because people had a, this hate against the Jews, and that was brought into the Roman Empire, and they kind of bled everything together and said, well, this is kind of what we do. Let's take Christianity. We'll blend it together. And then that way, everyone kind of fits into it. So it got really watered down, and it got really mingled really fast. And then from there, the Reformation was fantastic with the Reformation Church because it was all about faith. It's not about works. That's We were getting lost in that. But they didn't get out of a lot of those other things. You know, for a while, they weren't allowed to read the Bible. You were told scripture. Well, why would you do that? Why would you not let people read the Bible? Why would you tell them what it is? Because you don't really want them to be looking into the word of God. You don't really want them to be exposed to it. And so I think that is a huge carryover. Even though the Reformation came and there was, there was definitely changes, it didn't necessarily cover all of the fault that was passed on from being married to the Roman Empire. And I think that was a huge 
gateway pathway into we just got used to from that point on while there's been some phenomenal pastors and ministers over those ages and some phenomenal uh, uh, scholars that came through all of these ages they're they're one-offs it wasn't the whole church and we obviously we got into the the church of philadelphia which is essentially the brother love and we have the missionary church, so to speak. And there was a lot of missions happening in the 17, 1800s. But as a whole, I think the church had gotten to a place where it was, we're going to be told by a minister or a pastor or a priest what the word is and how it applies to our lives. So the irony is that this is a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't believe that Christians in a very general statement have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't have a relationship with the Godhead. They have a relationship with a pastor or a church. And how I feel about the pastor or church is how I feel about Christianity and God. Interesting. And I think when we, we, the, the, a lot of the stigma, too, is because I don't understand the Bible. I have people say, oh, I just don't understand the Bible. It's so complicated. I can't understand it. If that's the case and you're going to church and you can't understand the scriptures, then there's either two things. Either you're falling asleep and you're not paying attention or who's ever in front of you isn't teaching the Bible. They're not breaking down what we're talking about. Uh, I, I give huge kudos to Calvary Chapel because they go book by book by book by book. But just because you do that doesn't mean you're actually doing anything. It just means you're just going book by book by book. Are you breaking it down or are you showing how these books fit together? Are you showing how all the scriptures, how all the prophets are saying some of the most important things that if you read the book of Revelation, all the stuff that's in Revelation is talked about in the rest of the Bible. So it's, it's not coming up with something new. It's reaffirming most of the stuff, if not all the stuff that Daniel saw and predicted. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah. I mean, you go through, it's all there. They're all talking about the same thing. There is a God. There is a Messiah who's coming, who has come and will be coming again. There's all these things that are just, that, that most Christians don't even realize. They don't understand the rapture. They don't understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming because you're not reading the scriptures and you're not seeing how there's differences. One is imminent. One is going to happen at a very specific time. Read Daniel. It, it's laid out. And I just think it's, when people say I don't understand it, it doesn't make sense. It's because one, they're not searching out a way to find the answer. And two, I think the church is not doing itself a favor by having people who are dedicated to making sure that people understand the message of Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, and him returning. And I think that's where we've, we've gotten to. We've, just, we've gotten lazy and we've sat back and just thought everything didn't happen. I know in the United States, it's pretty easy because we've had everything going so great for so long. 
until just a few years ago. And all of a sudden things got flipped really quick, really fast. And there's a whole new feel now. No doubt about it. It, what you just described, isn't that dissimilar to citizens of the United States? Absolutely. I mean, something we're approaching 80 plus percent of the population is overweight and nearly what a 40, almost 45% of it are, are, you know, categorized as obese. And obviously there's so many reasons for that. Probably one that really ratchets to the top is, uh, our comforts. I mean, we've had it, as you said, we've had it so good for so long. It's, um, it's at least a significant element to, to all of it. Tying back into that a little bit, as it relates to, to men, you, you have two daughters, how would you go about in today's, in today's society and culture, how would you go about raising your boys if you had sons? Now that's, that's a really, <laughs> that's a really good question. Cause I've thought about that many times, but I gotta be honest. When my wife was pregnant at first, it was like, I, you know, I don't care what it is, it's still healthy babies, and that's what everyone says. And then we got the, our first girl, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And my wife was pregnant again, and I prayed. I prayed, Lord, please send me another daughter. I am so, I am so overwhelmed by, because I grew up with brothers, and I played football my whole life. I was always around guys, and to see the, the girl and to have – that different camaraderie and that different relationship and just the, what daughters do for daddies and how they are. And it was, this is just awesome. I was like, I don't, I don't want to boy. I don't want to go back to where I've been. I want to be this, but I've thought about that many times and I think how difficult it is. And, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest um, because I don't know what it's like to have a boy. But I would raise, based on what I've seen, which that brings up another church thing, based upon what I've seen, I would raise my son very similar to the way we've raised our daughters. And it comes down to there has to be guidelines, but there has to be leadership as a father, whether it's with daughters or with sons, because we know the statistics. When a father is not in the home, what happens to your children? doesn't matter whether they're boys or girls it's the same outcome it's just they're different because one's a boy and one's a girl and yes there is boys and girls and that's all there is (laughs) so wait i need to interrupt you there rodney society doesn't doesn't allow for that (laughs) there's like 117 genders now something something like that yeah we that's that's we just we don't we don't listen to science we don't listen to biology that's impossible right or, or, or pay attention to the Bible and how God yeah. built it, right? Number one, it's, it, if it's in the Bible, it's true. And how do we know? Because science will validate the Bible. When science doesn't validate the Bible, it's because science was changed. That's, that's it. That's how it works. That's a great science point. validates the Bible. When it doesn't, that means science was changed. And that's what they do. They don't pay attention to science. Right. It's like, come on, so I identify as a car. I can sleep in the garage all I want. <laughs> it's like it's stupid. I identify as a cat. Well, you're not a cat. Why? How can you say I'm not a cat? Because biologically, you're not a cat. Exactly. That's right. 
That's right. Okay. So for the rest for the rest of the conversation, I'm going to be a, a, a six foot four Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, and I'm the president of the United States. That's right. So it, it really comes down to as the father, we fathers need to be the leaders. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that you are better than your wife. It doesn't mean that you're better than the woman because that's not what God created Eve for. That the whole etzer konegno, that, that the Hebrew term that was used for Eve, that was to be a support mechanism. They were to equally support each other. That's what that means when he created Eve and Eve was to be his partner. That's the, the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be supportive of one another, but the man has the role to be the leader. It's your job, just like Richard would point and poke you in the chest, you're the leader. And I take that very seriously, and that's what I want, and that's what I have made sure that my daughters and my wife see, that I am a dedicated, unapologetic man of God. I believe in Christ. I believe in everything that the Bible says. It's infallible. He is everything and everyone that he said he is, and everything is going to happen exactly the way that it's written in there. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been written. It wasn't a storybook. It's a whole dedicated agenda outline. Here's what's going to happen. I'm telling you up front, if you don't believe me, I got nothing for you. You, you, you either see it, read it, or don't. And that's where, that's where it starts. And it starts with, are you going to lead? And are you going to lead by example? Are you going to ask your children to do things that you yourself wouldn't do? Are you going to listen to things and watch things and do things that you, that you would not let your children do? And everyone says, well, that's not appropriate for your, for, you know, children shouldn't, they don't. It's like, why would I watch something that I wouldn't want my kids to see me watching or my kids to watch? Why would I be speaking and saying things that I don't want my kids to speak? That's a, a conundrum that we're in. We have parents who, what they drink, what they do, what they say, how they act are totally different than what they're expecting from their children. And you don't think your children see that? So there are some very good father figures that I've seen whose, whose boys are respectful and go to Richard. They're respectful. They're, 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 they're cordial. They're polite. They're leaders. They're strong. And that doesn't just happen Genetically, because if you took the father out of that, what happens? Nine times out of 10, you're going to have a completely dysfunctional person. And I can attest to that because my father was out of my life at a very important time in my life. And I no longer had any guidelines. Guardrails were off and I was all over the road. So that's how I would raise a child is you, you as a father have to be you have to know who you are and whose you are. And then you have to walk the walk and talk the talk. And your talk and your walk better be the same because they will pick up on it. There's too much inconsistency from fathers to children, parents to children. There's too much inconsistency in what is okay for them and what's not okay for your children. And that's, that's going to get, get out of balance because your children are not dumb. They will pick you apart and they will find out every little, every little thing that you are being hypocritical about. And then that just tells them that you're, you're fake and you're phony. So I'm going to do what I want to do.
especially during teenage years. Absolutely. I mean, they're, 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 pardon the expression, their BS meter is highly attuned to inconsistencies between the actions uh, you know, that the parents uh, engage in and you know, what, you know, versus the words that they use. There's absolutely no doubt. I love that explanation of that. Really, how I was internalizing what you were saying, it's like, this is how we teach men, particularly young men, to show up authentically. Exactly. This isn't the Andrew Tates of the world and uh, where it's all it's all about, you know, puffing the chest and, and showing up, you know, in an aggressive, even violent way. It's like, no, this is being steady. This is being firm and this is being resolute. And the foundation has to be Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? One hundred percent. It comes back to meekness. And people always think meek is weak. No, meek is not weak. Meek is strong under control. Meek is like having a bridle on a horse. When you have a horse, if you don't have a bridle and that horse is a strong beast, I know because my daughters both have horses and they're, they're very in tune. <laughs> if you do not have a bridle on your horse and you go out and just do what you want to do, it, it will beat you some way, somehow. But you have a bridle, and we are to have a bridle on ourselves. And that bridle is Jesus Christ. That bridle is the word of God. And that's what controls us. And that's what the Bible says, is the Holy Spirit should tell you when you should go left and when you should go right. And when you hear him go left, do not go right, go left. So that's where we, we get out of whack, is we are to be meek, which means you are strong under control. Mm. And I, I look at Richard. Richard is a very good example of meek because when he needs to be strong, he will tap you in the chest and say, no, you need to lead. But other than that, he's a calm, most all the time calm and collected animal. Yeah. And that's where, that's where we go wrong. And, and that's where the church and Christian men get a bad rap because people think Christian men are a bunch of weaklings and they can be because I think they don't know the power of God. I don't believe they, they, I, I, there's so many men who don't grab onto and resonate with, do you know who is living in you? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you think that man had any weakness in him whatsoever? Do you know all the things that he suffered and all the things that he did? That is a man that has more strength than any man has ever had, who's ever walked this planet, but he's in you. And all those scriptures about you can renew your strength, if you just be still, know that he's God, if you rest in him and those who wait upon him will renew their strength. If you do that, you have strength. Your strength doesn't have to be, can you beat somebody up or can you, can you outmouth somebody? It's can you take something when, when it's dished out to you? Can you actually take someone ridiculing you and not let it phase you, though it will have an impact on you, but realize that it's not about you, it's about God. Those are Christ's words. Those aren't my words. And I think that's what it comes down to is a Christian man should be extremely strong, but the idea is that you don't know how strong he is all you see is how he confronts himself. I'll give you one real quick story that, that typified this because this kind of this one blew me away. I was at a, at a fitness course that I was delivering, 
in a group of people. And we had this, this speaker come in to talk to the class that we were doing. And I know the speaker very well, and I've known him for a long time, and he has obviously different beliefs than I do. And he got up, and he was supposed to talk about one subject, but he got up and just started completely blaspheming Jesus Christ. And I'm in the back of the room thinking, what does this have to do with the fitness industry? What does this have to do with anything we're talking about here? Yeah, the Bible. Here, here's what the, the whole Bible is about. Just be good to other people. That's the Bible. And I was like, so I'm standing there and I'm just, I'm boiling inside. And I'm thinking, Lord, give me the right thing to say because I'm going to say something. I have to say, I'm supposed to say something, right? I'm supposed to come out and say something to him. And all I felt was like God's hand on my chest just saying, don't you say a word. I'm like, what? Hmm. I think that it can't be. I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking, I, that's me being a wimp. I'm now being weak. And I was thinking, I was kept thinking in my mind, what should I say? And I, I come up with all these great things like, no, no. Here, let me tell you what the Bible is. Dude, you, dude I was going to get all over this. And he kept going on and going on. And his language is just way out of line. And I was thinking, oh, Jesus. And so I'm just sitting there praying. I'm like, Lord, you, you please tell me what to do. And he said, don't move. Really? So I just sat there. And I could just, I could literally almost feel his hand on my chest. And it was just like, don't move. Don't say a word. And it was like constantly in my head. And I, I knew it was God. So it's like, okay. So I was just listening and listening and listening. I just realized how sad. This man's never read the Bible, doesn't know much about the Bible, probably knows more about it than most Christians do. But he's got it wrong. And he's using it to, to steer an agenda that is more in tune with what he believes. And so I just sat there, sat there, sat there, sat there. This moment for about 30 minutes. And then I finished. And afterwards, I walked up to him and I thanked him for something that he said that I actually got something out of it had to do with water. And I thanked him for that and blah, blah, blah. Shook his hand, walked away. And then that evening, there was a group of us that were eating dinner together. And one of them was the, the, the founder of this company who kind of pieced all of us together to develop it. And he came up to me and he said, hey, he, he was from Australia. So he said, hey, Roddy. He goes, I know that, that he has a different views than you do. But he said, I got to tell you right now. So I got to tell you right now, I have more respect for you than I've ever had in my life. He goes, that was phenomenal. He goes, I looked at you. And you, you look so calm. He said, I was amazed. He's like, how can he be like that when this guy is obviously saying things completely against what you believe? And I was, I was like, whoa. And then I had another friend of mine who was, and the guy that had just said that, he wasn't a Christian, but I had many conversations with him about Christ. Um, and then I had another buddy of mine who was in the, in the audience who was a Christian. And he came up afterwards and said, what was that all about? I said, I don't know. I said, but, um, definite spiritual warfare i'll tell you that right now and he said man he goes i because I, I was kind of blown away he said like, i didn't know what to do and he said i turned and looked at you and he said when i looked at you you look so peaceful he said i thought oh, wow and he said when i saw that you were peaceful then i realized that there was something it was okay and i'm thinking to myself it's like that was christ because inside I was about 250 to two degrees. I was on 
fire and I was trying to figure out every way I could to, to appropriately confront the situation and let everybody know that's not true and this is what you should be and this is who I am. But God said no. And after I heard that, I was like, if I would have done it my way, thinking that I was being a good Christian, those two people would have expected that from me and thought that that's what should happen. And that's when it's seen it's all confront confrontations, all that. But instead, all I got was more respect. And I got something out of it that I would have never anticipated. And so that, that was, that was 13 years ago. And that became a huge, a huge resonating factor experience that I realized that if we listen to God, we will be strong. And if we use his strength, we will overcome. But if we want to do it our way, because we think that we're doing the right thing, but we're not checking it with Christ, then it's not going to, it's not going to work out because I would have blown that. I would have completely blown that. And God always does that. He does that to all of us all the time. It's how in tune are we and how willing are we to do what we feel is like we're supposed to do, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily right. That's what faith is. That's what yeah, faith is all about. And we have to walk by faith, not by sight. I'm just, all I'm doing is just spewing verses because that's the only thing that works. That's such that's such a great story that you shared. It it gets me thinking about what we talked about earlier, where in order to have spiritual fitness, we we need to engage with him. We need to engage with the scriptures. And correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, it sounds like it, this has been your experience. It certainly has been mine. That when whenever we have those conversations and with relative frequency we can hear god's whisper or we can feel his pull or tug or we can sense his hand on our chest having us you know be measured in the moment and it makes me even more curious as to the level of openness now that the founder had and some of the other you know some of the other stakeholders had the openness to have an, the next conversation on that topic with you about it and versus had you just blown your top and, and, and made a scene and maybe even lost respect Absolutely. in their eyes. Absolutely. Uh, do, do you agree with, with that sentiment? 100%. 100%. And I can't emphasize mm -hmm. the word faith because we hear that word, but I, I was... I've, I've, the last six years have been, actually it's been longer than that. The last eight years have all been about faith for me. And just sitting and, and just meditating on the Lord, where I just let him, he knows my heart. He knows our hearts. We don't have to spew out a bunch of awesome words. He knows what we're thinking. And I just was just sitting there and he, it's like, you know, what is faith? And he just broke it down, made it real simple. He said, faith has two components to it. Number one, truth. Number two, trials. Mm. He said, you cannot have faith without the truth. 
we all know who that is, and that's why Christ specifically said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God's words are true. Those are all scriptures, not making anything up. But if you don't ever have trials in which that truth comes under fire, then you don't have faith. It's like you say that you're the, the, the best surfer in the world, but you never go into a competition. How's that work? You're the best athlete, but you never compete. How's that work? In order to have faith, faith needs to be proven not to God because he already knows the amount that he's given you. He's all given us all a measure, and he knows how much of it you're using. And that's why he told Peter, you have little faith. And that word, by the way, when he says little faith, it doesn't mean you don't have any faith. It says your faith was, it ran out. That's basically what it means. It means it didn't sustain itself. It was, it went away because he, he walked on water. He had to have some faith because he walked on water. He's the only second person in history to do that that I know of. But what Christ was saying is your faith dwindled because all of a sudden you started moving by your eyes and your senses, not by your faith. And that's when I realized that how true that is. You know, obviously, he went through all the, the scriptures with me. But if you don't know the truth, and this is where people's faith gets shot, because I do not believe Many Christians know the truth. You don't know the word of God. We, and when I say that, you don't know the, the basic components of the power in the word of God and who he actually is and what he's actually done because we're not either being taught or we're not going to search it out. So if you don't have truth, you right away not going to have faith because if, there's, if you're not on the rock, then what are you standing on when, when the winds blow? What are you standing yeah. on? Because that's where people say, well, yeah, you know what, what you're saying is that makes a lot of sense to me. So I, I guess I guess I will do this or I guess I won't do that. No. What's the truth? What's the guideline? What's the word of God? And then we're going to be put into trials. I think that's what Christ said. In this world, you will have tribulation. But do not be afraid for the billionth time. I have overcome the world. If he says that, then it's true. It doesn't mean we're always going to feel that. It doesn't mean we're always going to be on top of the world. We're going to have our down moments because that's where we have to, who are you going to rely on? When, when everything's horrible, who are you going to re rely on? Flip that over. When everything's awesome, who are you going to give thanks to and rely on? That's right. And it has to be the same either way. So it really comes down to faith and we need to have truth and we need to be, know that we're going to go on trials and we stand on that truth because it will always win. The truth always wins. That's a mic drop moment for me. <laughs> the truth, the, the truth always wins. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation. I, you know, we don't, we don't know one another outside of our mutual connection with Richard and, and this conversation, this was the first one we've had and it was so rewarding for me to to get your perspective on on so many different things um so thank you very much rodney this, this was this was great would you would you mind closing us out in prayer absolutely absolutely heavenly father we are so grateful for you and i get so emotional because you're so good and I'm so grateful for your forgiveness for us not being dedicated enough or desiring you enough or knowing you enough 
are motivated internally to just seek after you. So thank you for your grace and your mercy in always being with us. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you for what Dr. Slover is doing for who he is and what he's what he's allowing to happen and how he's allowing you to use him in this. I just ask that you would bless this ministry. You would bless these words and these messages. Lord, that you would shape them, form them, and that you would place them into the right people at the right time for the right reasons that only you can do. I just ask that you would bless every single message that's come before this one and every single message that will come after this one, and that you will use them to the utmost of your desire, your will, and your perfect and pleasing plan for each person's life. Thank you for continually being who you are and never giving up on us. And thank you for what you're about to do in the coming days. And we appreciate you and we love you. In your great name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Rodney, thank you again. I really appreciate the time and bless you for for the work you do and continuing to help get the word out. Um, it's it's obviously uh, very much needed. So thank you. you. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Slover. You're welcome. God bless. God bless you. You can contact the show at itsnotmycredittotake.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.